Please remain standing in body or in spirit for today's scripture lesson, a reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Listen for the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, there is, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy, worthy of play, praise, Think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And please be seated. And Sally, thank you. What a wonderful reading of the gospel lesson. We truly have the most amazing children and youth in our church. Amen. We are so blessed, dear friends. Well, good morning, Christ Church family and friends, or I guess now I should say good afternoon, uh, Christ Church family and friends. And, and don't worry, I'm aware of, of the time and, and of the hour. We knew this was a full service, and I have, uh, I have prepared the sermon accordingly, and, and even since then, I have made modifications. So we'll, we'll do the best we can, and it's all is, all is well. Uh, let's join our hearts in prayer as we continue in worship today. Loving God, we are indeed so grateful today. We're grateful for uh, our families and our children. What a great day as we recognize the scouts and the, the great news about our youth ministry and not just the amount of money that has been raised and donated and, and then magnified by a very generous anonymous family, but the heart that is behind all of that, that shows the heart of this church, the heart that beats for you and for our families and youth and children. So, Lord, as we continue in worship today, let us let us be hearers of your word, but as James implores us, not to be merely hearers, but doers of your word as well. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen and amen. In Stephen King's uh, novel or novella, later turned into a movie called The Shawshank Redemption, there was a man named Andy Dufresne, a banker who was wrongly convicted of murdering his wife and sentenced to life in prison. The conditions at Shawshank, if you've ever seen the movie or read the novella, were terrible. The warden was, well, he was corrupt. The captain of the guards was a sociopath. Um, inmates, some of them were absolutely brutal. And there's a moment in that story when all hope was lost of, of ever being uh, set free from that place where Andy says something to his best friend, Red. He said, it's time to get busy living or get busy dying. And it was that very night that he made his escape that he had been preparing for for 20 years. I, I mention that because the Apostle Paul, obviously, who wrote Philippians, he, he was writing from a very different kind of prison than the fictitious uh, Shawshank. He was likely under a kind of house arrest. He was constantly chained to a Roman guard, yet he was very much in prison. He was incarcerated. He was awaiting trial, knowing that he would likely face execution, which he did. Yet in the midst of his chains, Paul was free. 
You can see that in every single word of Philippians. And we titled this study on Philippians Becoming Free due to Paul's way of being free in Christ, no matter what his circumstances were. Also, this letter, as we've, as we've gone through it, we can see how it's about, about how we become free, just some very specific things in, in life that tend to imprison us. Clearly, Paul, through his faith in Christ and the power of Christ at work in him and through him, he got busy living when it would have been very easy to just get busy dying. Paul's faith in life in Christ was, was his tunnel out of that place, even as he sat there with that Roman guard. So I have a question. What imprisons you? What incarcerates your heart and your mind and your thoughts? What keeps you in jail in that way? And by the way, have you ever been in such a place, like physically? Have you ever been in a jail or a prison? Over the years, because of my role as a, as a pastor, as a seminarian, I have gone to visit folks in, in prison and in jail. And I got to tell you, they're not very friendly places if you've, uh, if you've ever been to one. I was down at Louisville Metro Corrections uh, several years ago to, to visit someone I knew, someone who's a, who's a friend, was and remains a friend of mine. And, and uh, I remember just trying to get through the system and finally get inside the jail itself. And there were no signs to help me navigate. It's a jail, right? I mean, so of course, there's no signs to help you figure out how to go. And uh, I look at a camera and help me. And they told me where to go and some disembodied voice. And I get into an elevator that I wasn't sure would ever open back up. And it took me all the way to the top, the top floor. And I, I get off and there's a guy, a guard behind the glass. And I, I say, I'm here to see so-and-so. He said, yes, I know. I said, what do I do? And he said, well, go back there. And then when you're done, come back out and you push this button. You see that button, that box, and then we'll let you out. He said, but here's the thing. We've been having some trouble with that button lately. Um, but don't worry, just, just knock on the glass, and you see that guy back there, knock on that glass, you'll get his attention, and he'll let you out. Don't worry, we'll let you out. So I, I had a, a nice visit with, with my friend there, and we, we prayed, and, and then I walked through a door, and it shut behind me, and, and I pushed the, the button on the box that he told me to push, and, and guess what? Yeah, it was broken. So I thought, okay, no problem, don't panic. I tend to be a little claustrophobic. I don't like situations that I can't easily walk away from, but I was fine at that moment. I remembered what the guard had said. I walked up to the glass to knock, and guess what? That other guy had gone to lunch. That was the longest three weeks of my life. Um, actually, it was only about five minutes, but it seemed like, like three weeks at the, the, the time. And Well, we laugh about that, and and, and as well we should. I was laughing about it before I even got out of the building, to be honest with you. But we don't laugh when we find ourselves in prisons of worry, prisons of anxiety, prisons of life circumstances. What has imprisoned you? What's imprisoning you today? Is it sickness? Is it relationships that you're worrying about? Worrying about kids or grandkids that have seemed to have lost their way? Or maybe it's anxiety over finances or a diagnosis that's re recently been given to you or a loved one. Maybe it's a job or a career. Maybe it's a prison of anger or bitterness or, or just trouble forgiving and moving on. The fact of the matter is, is that we often find ourselves in a prison of worry, in a prison of anxiety, of a prison of life circumstances. I, I think that has to be one of the reasons that Jesus taught about this, about worrying. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he, 
He talked about how we, we didn't need to worry about things. We didn't need to worry about what we were going to eat. He didn't need to worry about what we were going to drink or what we were going to wear and how we were going to be cared for. He used examples like lilies in the fields and birds of the air and how they are fully clothed and, and beautiful and, and the, the birds don't ever seem to miss a meal and we're much more valuable to God than they, right, he said. And he finally said, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And oh, brother and oh, sister, isn't that the truth? Today's trouble is enough for today. Paul knew that. He perhaps knew that better than anyone. Paul, again, is writing his letter not from some clean and antiseptic lab. It's in the midst of the messiness of life with a chain around his ankle, yet he's free in the midst of his incarceration. And his words today give us what I'm calling today a prescription for peace. And it's a very simple prescription. The, pers- the prescription is just three words. Pray, think, do. That's the prescription. Paul says rejoice. Again, rejoice. Uh, he says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So is Paul somehow suggesting that we can substitute worry and anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving? Yes, that's exactly what he's doing. So you may remember the old Bacon's department store uh, here in Louisville, if you grew up in Louisville. So one day I mistakenly got into their elevator. It's a very small elevator, and I was joined by one other fella, and we pushed the button to go up, and we got halfway up, and guess what happened? It stopped. Did I mention I'm a little bit claustrophobic anyway, and I don't like being in places that I can't readily get away from or walk out of, and i got to tell you that I was so grateful for that fellow who was in the elevator with me, and the reason I was so grateful for him is because he was losing his mind. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How long is it going to take him to get us? What are we going to do? And, and because he was losing his mind, I didn't have to lose my mind. When we think about the things that imprison us, in our worry, in our anxiety, well, it's helpful to know that we don't have to lose our minds or to get swept away in that moment because we have, we have a God who promises to be with us in that moment and calls us into fellowship through prayer and through thanksgiving. I could say a lot more about that, but I want to honor our time because the other part of the prescription is to think, according to Paul, Remember when your teacher back in school used to say, all right, class, I want you to put on your thinking caps. Remember that? And what did that mean? That meant we were going to be given a problem. It meant we were going to be engaging our minds a little bit more deeply around something. But sometimes it's just hard to put on our thinking caps because there's so much going on in our minds. I recently just did a little bit of, just a little bit of uh, research into what do Americans tend to think about most of the time. Top 10 things that we literally have on our minds on any given day. Uh, number one, that we're, we're going to be diagnosed with a terrible disease. We're, we're worried about our health. Uh, number two, did I lock the garage door or did I lock the door or shut the garage when I left this morning? Anybody did that? I do that all the time. Uh, uh, the next one, number three, someone's upset with me. Four, uh, related to that, they, they didn't text me back all the way, so they must really be mad at me. Uh, number five, I'm not that good at my jobs, and I hope or I'm afraid I might get fired. That's a, a very much in a lot of people's minds. 
Not number six, I'm not, or, or I, number six, I, I'm going to forget something that's really important. Number seven, something terrible is going to happen to my dog or somebody or something else that I, I love. Um, eight, I'm going to say or do something that makes people think I'm dumb. Nine, nobody likes me. Number 10, the whole elevator thing. It's going to stop and I'll be stuck there forever. 50,000 or more thoughts go in our minds every single day. And so much of that is influenced by what we put into our minds. Often, at least in my case, thoughtlessly, with whatever's on television or whatever's being displayed on social media. And by the time our children reach the age of 18, they've been exposed to tens of thousands of, um, of non-God-honoring acts of intimacy, of countless tens of thousand acts of, of violence, Advertising influences us to, to buy things that we may or may not really need, but they make us think we need them. So it's no wonder we find ourselves in prisons of anxiety and in the mess of a mixed up and confused life because of what our mind is, confu- is consuming. So, so listen, I'm not telling you to, to stop watching TV, but stop watching TV. Uh, I'm not telling you to stop doing social media, but Stop doing social media. Actually, I'm not telling you to, to stop doing that because I know that would be impossible for you and it would be very unlikely and impossible for me. I am asking us, especially during Lent, to consider what we're putting into our mind and to consider Paul's prescription. And that involves thinking carefully, righteously, and actively. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about those things. Knowing, know what you're watching and what you're engaging with. Evaluate what you're putting into your mind. Punctuate your day at the beginning and the end with spiritual thoughts and prayer and Scripture. Meditate deeply by engaging your thinking cap around the things of God. It'll help set you free. But it's not just thinking. It's not just praying. According to Paul, it's the doing. It's the doing of it. Paul said, as for the things that you've learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Paul's a teacher, and he's a pastor, and he's a good one. And he's taking this notion of thinking, and and he's taking it to and engaging it with action. Think about these things carefully, righteously, actively, and then do them. Getting back to those words of James that I remembered for us just a few minutes ago, to be not just hearers of the Word, but, but doers as well. And then Paul even matches it with an example as somebody who had started that community of faith, who had been their pastor and teacher, to encourage them to to, to, to do it as they had witnessed him living his life that way. As you've learned, received, heard, and seen, he said, in me. Paul knew that just an intellectual appeal would not suffice. Just to get them to think about the right things would not be enough. To just understand right doctrine wasn't quite enough. Paul knew that this truth had to be lived out. It had to be lived out by individuals for individuals to experience faith to its fullest and be transformed by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. When I think about this whole endeavor, and and, and we're almost there, (laughs) when I think about this whole endeavor of church, 
one of the greatest dangers for me, for you, for any of us in regularly being a part of a faith community is that we'll think, is that we'll know, is that we'll receive truth and then hold it within ourselves. And in so doing, by not putting it into practice, we don't experience and behold the true beauty of that faith and that knowledge and all that God has for us. And we can become asleep or even calloused to this knowledge of God's truth and love in Jesus Christ. What Paul is calling the community of faith then, and I believe through his words even today, is calling us to that knowledge, is calling us to that prayerful spirit, but also calling us into a time, into a realization that this truth and this faith has to be acted upon. And Paul promises that when we do that, when we do that, when we pray, when we give thanks, as we rejoice, as we think about these things that are beautiful and commendable, and when we put it all into action, it's a prescription for peace. Because just like any prescription in our lives has to be signed by a doctor to be filled and provide healing for us, this prescription was written by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, and it truly will heal us and will heal our world. So friends, I'll conclude with the same verse, but it's from Peterson's The Message. Let this prescription, let it be filled in your heart. Let it be written. Let it be signed. Let it be filled as you hear it, maybe in a different way. Where Peterson writes, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them to see the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into action what you learned from me, what you have heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Well, friends, that's Paul's prescription for peace. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Amen. Well, friends, for our invitation to Christian discipleship, as you've heard, as you know, our Lenten journey begins this week. I, along with your, your staff and our ministry leaders, are calling you, are calling all of us to deeper, greater spiritual practices during this most holy season of the year. One of those, one of those practices is midweek worship and fellowship through a meal. If you've not had a chance to register, we want to be good stewards of the food and the resources to prepare this home-style meal that we will be sharing on Wednesday and then worship right after. That begins this week. And I sure hope you'll register for that. 
and will experience the spiritual practices of worship and fellowship.